Welcome to Beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast, where we aim to travel around Botswana and learn about this wonderful safari destination as we chat with experts, safari professionals and safari legends, as we share stories, recommendations and help you plan your Botswana holiday. Today for Beautiful Botswana is a food lover. She is somebody I met years ago talking about tourism and how to grow cultural tourism in Botswana and specifically in our area of Ngamiland. And it gives me great joy to sit today in her restaurant, which is due to open very soon. Very soon. And um, to talk food, to talk traditional Botswana cuisine um, in all its versions and what it means for the people of this wonderful country. So welcome me and thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this. Food is something I can talk about all day, every day. So I'm pretty excited to share what I have learned and know with you. Today. Fantastic. And as I said, we're sitting in um, in the restaurant, so yeah. there is a bit of background noise, but I hope that that makes you feel like you're as li- you as listeners sitting here with us on the corner. Exactly. Um, in the middle of Malm, opposite Nabi Museum, just here watching the world go by, mm-hmm. eating good food, drinking cold drinks. Oh, because this spring is just coming with some good weather, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> just enjoying the vibe um, that this wonderful little spot has here on the corner. Yes. So, um, to start, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background? What is was it that got you into um, the food the business? Food. And thinking about, and obviously, um, food goes with people. Yeah, um, yeah. And sort of the people... It's a good food thing, how you got there. It's a good thing you mentioned that food, people, one thing. For me, it was, it started with the people first. My mom was um, like president of a football club when I was growing up. She was actually Miss Khabarini United Football Club in 1976. So for the love for the football and the people grew from her. We always had a house full of people. She was always cooking. And when she was tired, this was my mom. I want to eat good food. Um, Cut this that way, two centimeters. Okay, start frying this, start frying that, put in that, that, that. And then when the food is done, and I dish and I take it, she'll be like, oh my God, I know how to cook. I'm so good. And I'll be like, (laughs) what do you mean? You are so good. I just made that. So... Um, I think it's something that I just, I, I've picked up since I was a kid. My first full grown meal for like grown people, I was nine years. So do I really want to have a restaurant? Do I really want to do food? I don't think I have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that God has given me and I think um, I love it. Yeah. Fantastic. And then why Maung? Wow. Maung has always been a place where I win. I don't think anything I do, I, I, I hate to think that it could be, I don't believe in coincidence actually. When I was in Form 5, I failed my Form 5 and my mom was livid. She's like, you are smart, I don't understand. But obviously I was a kid and my head was just in the wrong things, you know, so that, that's how I failed. So she sent me to Delta Waters 
And she's like, you are going there for boarding school and you are starting. You're going to go back to Form 4, you know. So when I got to Maung and right now, 2021, I mean, okay, Maung is still the same, but... <laughs> it's not its finest, right? Yes, it's but fine. then, they, well, the buildings were less and less and what. And it was my first time, so I was a bit scared. So I was like, oh my God, if I want to make it out of here, I got to pass. <laughs> if I can so, go and get back to the city life <laughs> exactly so that's exactly what I did but within the three years that I was in Maung I fell in love with it and I had always promised myself I was like you know what in my old age wherever if I want to retire I'll go back um, to Maung but I didn't come to retire <laughs> I didn't ever want to come to Maung with my struggles because for me it was just like my holiday home this place is beautiful and I want to come spend like leisure time here, have a holiday home. But I lost my family one after the other in 2017. Three deaths sent me straight to the water. I was like, okay, I need tamalakani. I need to calm down. But what else do I do besides uh, cooking? Nothing. So I came to Moong and kept going with what I do best, which is my cooking. Fantastic. And when you think about, um, like you're talking about your childhood and the food being so important to your mother when she was having a hard day and um, your, your experiences growing up, as you've mentioned, when you think about Botswana culture being different from elsewhere, and before we got online, we were talking about how your name's quite unique in Botswana yeah. because of the cliques. Yeah. And that's because of your cause also, it's Bosa. Let me try this. <laughs> um, ancestry. Yes. Um, what do you think makes Botswana culture, well, what of Botswana culture do you think we should be celebrating and um, make highlighting as unique and individual compared to our, the, our bordering net countries? Both. <laughs> um, I honestly do believe that Botswana are, are I don't know, um, there's a lot of humanitarian goodness in in them i don't know if you could how do you explain it's what we call boboi boi means fear um so not that kind of fear not fear that we fear something but it's more like you know you 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 are humble enough to stand back watch learn and then you know move that's the that's what the Bajana people are for me they're more about learning quietly at the back and then you know striking that's what um, they have good hearts, well-behaved well manners, yeah, mm. stuff like that. That's, but it doesn't really, what can I say? You have to go in. You have to spend time with the people. It's not something that is apparent at first glance. Exactly. And there's a depth to it. Exactly. To and you have to spend time. And those who are really rooted in the culture have the time. And that's what makes the Boto part of it, you know, to actually share about us, about what we can provide mm. the world, basically. Yeah. And so then what role do you mm. think food has in that? Um, health. <laughs> Botswana food, honestly. The, our cultural food is, is very healthy in a sense that preservatives, zero. Spices, at a low. Hardly any of our food do you need um, to spice it up or do you need to put in fancy things to actually make it taste nice. So I think what Botswana and its food has to offer is the big health aspect um, behind it. And the fact that it's the kind of meals that you can cook for hundreds of people 
at the same time and you can still enjoy it mm. you see but i also feel like the food which, which also translates back to that idea of bottle yes because it's the it's the community yeah so the f- food works well at a communal scale definitely food works well at a communal scale when you have one big pot outside there by the fire i mean imagine you have a four banner stove there's about eight, nine family members and you have to cook. And, you know, the stove is little, so you have to use little pots. But when we're cooking outside, which is the traditional way of cooking our food, it's, it's not, you know, <laughs> there's no limit. You can put a size 30 aluminium black pot in there and, and, and cook for everybody. You see what I mean? So that's, I think that's just the beauty of the thing. And it's quick. To be quite honest, although some people believe that our food or the kind of food that we make takes long, it's only because we cook it indoor. When you are outside, that pot is like an oven. The sojourner pot, the three-legged sojourner pot is like, it's like a pressure cooker. So the fire is good, the pot is nice, it conducts heat perfectly, the food cooks fast. Fast, okay. and it's good. Yeah. Um, and then, in terms of, you're talking about your childhood and food as a child. Has your, um, I'm sure, like most adults, your, your taste in food has changed. Are there, what are the things that you go back to for comfort when, you, when you're having a tough year, like 2017, and you're losing family members? Mm. What of your heritage from a food perspective gives you that comfort? So, the story about food is that, oh, get us on our food. When we were kids, we hate it. No kid, you, you know, from say, okay, when you're six months, you have no choice. They give you mutoho, mutoho, mutoho. But when you become about three years old, there they comes to be, there comes a time where you're just like, you know, mutoho or porridge is made from sorghum. Pound it, you cook it with water, you add milk. Well, to make it nice, you can add milk, sugar, and the butter. Those things have n- not always been available. And not always so healthy. <laughs> and not always so healthy. <laughs> exactly. So when you're a kid, those are things. It just seems like some watery stuff that you have to eat and you don't like. And your parents have to chase you and all of that stuff. And then Samp, you're just thinking, oh my God, this is just maize and what? When you're a kid... That's how you feel. And then you start growing up and you have all the fancy stuff that you want. You'll have all the Mexican food. You'll have all the curries. You'll have do this, do that. But eventually when you're sitting at home by yourself and you're like, yo, I'm hungry. I don't know what I eat, but I don't want to, you know, have a fried chicken. What do I want? Believe me, you will want that bowl of motoho or you will want that bohobe with siswa, you know, because... It's, it always takes you back home. Mm. That's just what it is. It always takes you back home. For me, Bohobe ba Lerote. Lerote is like a... It's like it's a, a melon. Yeah, it's like it's a melon. Definitely a melon. But this melon, you cook to get um, a jus from it that you make the Bohobe with. So it's a bit tangy. It's a bit stringy if you're not so good at making the thing. But it's really, really nice. For me... And how do you cook the melon? Um... Three-legged pot. Okay. Is it boiled or steamed? It's boiled. Well, you don't have to put a lot of water in it because water comes out. So what you do is that you put a lot of it in the pot, you cover, and then it will just kind of, you know, you know, melons are, melons really have lots of water. 
and then you just take that cool it down so instead of using water now when you are cooking the 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 porridge that's what you use you use that liquid from the from the from the melon so that for me is my number one go to um food and moroho wadinawa which is like to be quite honest i've never ever seen the nawa of it which nawa would be a bean right mm-hmm. So in Setswana we call it moroho adinawa. So in English it would be spinach and beans. Spinach, yeah. Greens <laughs> so, and beans. Greens and beans. <laughs> but I've never actually seen the bean of it. It's just a leaf. But what happens is that for the people to preserve the 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 moroho because it lasts. You can have it in bags and in the house for a long time. And is that in a dried form? Yeah, in a dry so form. So it's harvested dried exactly. they stay. harvest it they they do the process to it and then they dry it so then you can keep it for a long time a, a cup like a dried cup of 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 that moroho can actually feed more than 10 people you know like a small cup because what it does now is just like it just swells up and it swells up when you put it in so for me that moroho that bohobe and moroho together and seswa seswa A lot of people when they explain this why they say it's pounded meat. I mean, uh, pulled pulled beef. No. Yeah, I think I would say to somebody who's from overseas listening that it has a similar look to a pulled beef, pulled beef. Yeah. But it in terms of taste, it tastes nothing like it. It tastes nothing like pulled beef. No. at all it's got its own no this to me a pulled beef i'd imagine it to have some kind of barbecue connotation so yeah. that's why is it taste all of the <laughs> so why is salt and if you haven't if you haven't noticed the more you cook meat it's like the longer you cook the meat it's like the more it flavors itself so mm-hmm. if you put in like a teaspoon of salt eventually it will taste like you've put in about 3 or 4 i don't know what mm-hmm. that is but this is just something that i've come to realize this is why for me food flavors food hence why i hardly put any spices into my into my food so the 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 pounded beef is different from the pulled beef we cook it in water it cooks all the way until it's very soft and you use wooden um wooden big wooden spoons to pound it if you're cooking for obviously a large crowd I think and it's cooked on the bone. It's boiled on the bone. Yeah, it's boiled on the bone also because of the marrow. Mm-hmm. You know, marrow is really good. That's what gives it the the flavor, the flavor as well. So the tendons that come with or that's what gives it the flavor. At the end after you pound it, then you remove the bones and that's the nice part about it. Then you get to chew the bones. I mean, when we were kids when the fathers cuz usually sesoa is made by the men in the kota like if you are not like at home when there's a sesoa cuz and this is why it's very rare to find most of the time you find that you can't um, you, you you can't just walk in anywhere and find sesoa sesoa is traditionally meant for like the big celebrations or the or funerals or anything and is cooked mostly by by the gentlemen and my grandfather would be there cooking and all of us are just there waiting for him to say nya here's the bones see what you can do because you know as a kid also growing up that could be that could have been all you had yeah there might <laughs> the, not be nothing left in the bone might the not be. <laughs> comes to, to exactly. the kid. and i'm assuming that the bones 
the boiling of the bones also assists in the flavour. Yeah. Because obviously this, you know, the bones are almost being reduced to a stock as they cook. I mean, they definitely are. Disappearing. They definitely are. Afterwards. Yeah, but remember, you don't have to... It doesn't... Um, you can only pound it when there's no stock in it. it yeah, was it has too, to dry. It has to go out. Or if anything, collect the stock on the side. That's what I like to do. So when you pound it, if it's dry, you keep, you know, mm-hmm. adding the stock again just to, you know, give it a, yeah. a nice moist taste. Um, and then going back to Morocco. Morocco... It's such a tricky one as a foreigner to get your head around because it is meroho of vegetables. Yes. And so it's the standard term for vegetables, but then it's also this greens category. But then there's moroho and there's moroho. I mean, they, they are not all the same. They're so not all the same. The traditional format would be the wild spinach. Yes. And that's what you're referring to, can get dried. Exactly. That's the one. And then what else are people using at home in terms of creating a green, the vegetables on their plate, if they were to create? You know, honestly, morojo is the biggest thing for Botswana. And that's why there's so many different types. We've Mm -hmm. got chumolia, we've got rape, we've got, um, what, what, what is this one that we... Delele, you know, there's there's just so many. So and then that's, there's the, the spinach that's sort of the generic charred exactly spinach. Exactly, the charred yeah, spinach. Yeah. So there's uh, the green for Botswana comes from Morocco. Leaves. Leaves. We are all about the leaves. That's where the green comes from. And if you were to prepare them fresh, how would you prepare it if you weren't using the dried version? Um, same way, really. It's just that it tastes better um, with the dry version. I have no idea why. When it comes to the Morocco Astrana, the drier version is the, is, the best, is the best one. I would advise anybody, I mean, if the borders can take it, I would advise anybody to leave because you can also flavor it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be plain, plain. My mom's helper at home makes the best. And what she does is she cooks it with minestrone soup, you know, so it gives it this flavor that you, you know, you can't even, and you a little chili in there. So it's quite tasty. And then the, the other greens, all they really need is some frying onion, you know, salt, a bit of tomato here and there. Nothing, nothing hectic. This is why I say it's like most of our food is really just Healthy green, anything green is always thumbs up. Other veggies that tend to get eaten um, Hmm. in Botswana culture. The pumpkins and butternuts are popular. Yeah, this is why I'm I'm very emphasizing on Botswana vegetable being green. Yeah. Because the the butternut, the pumpkin, yes, there's Botswana, but they're not Not. really. This is this is this idea of this traditional exactly cultural well, is cultural food yeah and then there's sort of more african and then there's more african food. so melons honestly are more just like a an, an african situation we we have them we eat them what what would be specific to Botswana in terms of the vegetable sweet yes yeah now let's chat about sweets sweets particularly interesting for um it's what it's one of our delta specialities yeah, yeah. um so, yeah, tell our listeners a little bit about... I'm actually curious about the tree. If there's anything that I want to find out, is, I mean, it looks like a potato, mm-hmm. but can it do... Does it have potato qualities? You know, most of the time, the way that they cook the tree here is with meat. I've never actually met anybody who's cooked tree by itself. itself. 
Um, um, I, and also fish, right? Sui yeah. is often called yes, fish. Yes, yes, yes. So just to take a step back, Sui is the tuba of the water lily. The tuba so, of the water lily. So often it's, it's women who will go out into the river yeah. and they'll basically pull... That's up. actually a very beautiful sight to see, you know, when they go and harvest. Um, they go in a line. Apparently there's a reason they, I'm not too sure. They, they go in a line. Crocodile avoidance. <laughs> yes, and they sing and it's really nice and they go in there. And for the first time in my whole entire life, I saw the biggest tree. I, I didn't think you could ever get that big. I mean, we're talking big melon size. Yeah. Yeah, usually you get them in the small potato size type situations. But I saw one which was really big, which is why it gave me the idea of what else can we do. So what I did was I deep fried it. Uh-huh. I just coated it, I cut it up, and then I coated it, and then I did a deep fry. It was crunchy, soft. <laughs> What's its taste on its own? Because I've never had it on its own. Earthy. Taste. Is it earth? okay? Yeah. It's not I bitter think, or anything. No, bitter. it's not bitter. It's I think it's just earthy. My kids were saying I love food too much. Maybe this is why I'm enjoying it. <laughs> or I'm old, I don't know. But I think the I think the just the earthiness of it was really nice for me. It tastes like ground. It tastes like mm. and you still get that river smell. You know how it is. Mm. You know that when you're eating the fish you get that river smell from the fish. You know how tamalagane water mm. smells like. You still get that. So I don't know. For me it was really nice because I, I I like that. I'm still yet to explore, so hopefully when people come through, we'll have a much more... You'll have an idea what's on your mind. An menu. idea, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned one of the ones, the traditional foods, that is one of my not favorites. I consider myself to have quite an adventurous palate. I have had sui. I enjoy... Sesu is one of my favorite meals. Yeah. I really enjoy it. But dililele is the one thing... I do not like. Me and you both. <laughs> oh, okay. this is why you rushed over it earlier. <laughs> so it's a traditionally harvest. It's a it's a wild leaf. It's a wild leaf that is harvested, and somehow it's always sandy. Yeah, definitely very sandy. The flower. I mean, it's a really small tree unless it's let to grow very high. But the higher it grows, the bitter the leaves become. Yeah, okay. So rather catch it. Um, now, it's difficult. The leaves are always small. They're very small. And because it's wild, it's everywhere. So I guess when people pick it, they are not too... They're not very careful. No, they're not too careful. So yes, it, it tends to be a bit... Well, I've always found like gritty in my mouth. And it's this combination of the grittiness from... Or if it is sand or it's actually just the texture but that of the was just Combined with like the sliminess of it that just... Has an absolutely zero appeal. <laughs> that richness can be taken care of by a good factory. I think if you just had a factory, a picker, you know, because yeah. right now the problem with most of our food is that we don't ha- actually have factories that can cook. Doesn't produce. get processed. Exactly. So if we had a big factory that could actually really wash it well, maybe we could really give it a chance also because I'm not so very big on it. I'm a food lover, but I am very picky too, but I don't mind to cook anything for people. Because I can cook it really well, but I just won't eat it. It's like lamb and goat. You're not a, you're not a fan. I don't eat those. Each time they used to cook them at my house, I'd leave. <laughs> because the smell. But I grew up and then it's part of my career. People love lamb. They love goat. So I cook it. I cook it really well. And I can tell you, I cook it without tasting. Mm. So people are like, oh my God, this tastes so good. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> That's nice. So... Yeah, the lele is not something that I like, but it's, it's for those who have 
um, a taste for it, they love it quite well, a lot. It's a good thing that you talk about the lamb and the, the goat. We've mentioned meat in terms of talking about seswa. Yeah. We briefly talked about fish um, being cooked with the tsui. But let's talk about the importance of meat in in traditional food and and it, it's cultural value that's basically just it i mean especially the Botswana men won't even eat without meat it's just like what there's no meat uh, what are you talking about there's no meat so meat is a very big 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 part of our culture very big part of our culture having going that's why we have farms and you know somebody can just go to that farm kill a cow kill a goat kill a lamb um put in that deep freezer at home and it's just everyday packet, everyday packet, everyday packet. Some, you know, take out that leg, let's cook it outside, let's make this. Satwana, Batwana, we love meat. It's a big part of our culture. And what would be the most traditional way of cooking meat? Rye, oh, stew, plain, boil it with salt and just as the um, as the as the water has has gone out of just fry it up with just salt and then there's what they call no rocks <laughs> ever heard of that one are you sure are you sure you've never heard of a no rocks no rocks is beef um beef stock cube okay yeah, yeah. yes so in Botswana, um, right, in Botswana, yeah. I get yeah. the boxes called, no, no. you, you yeah, see yeah. the, yeah, the, the brand. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what it is now. So Botswana is like, did you put Norox? It's not about, did you put stock or Q? No, it's the Norox. So whether or not it comes from um, stock cubes and it's called, whatever it is, is Norox. Okay. So that's, that's Botswana's biggest flavor in food, Norox. And onion. Mm, yeah. yeah. Norix and onion. And then the importance of a braai. I mean, obviously, that's not necessarily... I mean, cooking meat on the fire is a traditional style of cooking. Braai's um, got slightly more South African connotation, but shisanyama braai, whatever you want to call yeah. it, cooking meat on the fire. Um, where would you... How would you sort of consider that in the in the sort of range of traditional cooking? Is it something that's slightly more modern or is it something that is the traditional way people cook? It is traditional cooking in the sense that it's it's it, it's there, it's always been there. But it's not like a home use. It's more for like celebrations. Okay. Celebrations especially. That's basically what it is. But when I look at brine meat as a celebration, and you just can't buy steak. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not done on small scale. No, you can't just do like, you know, the other like day. A <laughs> I had um it was just me, my daughter, my son and my fiance and we had bright meat outside. So my fiance's sister comes, she finds us and it's literally just steak, like one steak each. I made a fire because I wanted a bright. So I made a fire and I cooked one steak each. So she comes in, she's like, ah, what is this? Where's the chicken? Where's the vores? Are we having a party? Why are you guys having a bride? I'm like, no, is this a supper? It's just like, what? <laughs> You're gonna go outside to do a whole bride stand because you wanna have supper? And I'm like, yeah, I've got the firewood, I've got the bride stand, I might as well. But so for us as Batwana, when we see meat on the bride stand, we know we're celebrating something. It's good news, whatever it is. We're having a party. Where's the drink? 
um, but on a normal basis, it's not like we. It, it's our go-to. It's not a normal home. No home-based method. No. Okay. No. And then the other thing that I think is important to note to anyone who's traveling to Botswana is that the default in Botswana is well done. Yes. So if if you want your meat not well done, Please you say need so. to specify. Please say so. And well done is not even... I, I can't even tell you what well done is. This is what talking. We're talking like really gone. Like you, they, there's no juice that will come out of that meat. And um, that I've had such an amazing experience with in the last eight years where I've had to, where I've had, where I've been dealing with cooking for, for people. Because obviously when you learn about food now in the modern times, you're looking, you're looking at gare, the white, the different types of steaks, right? So here, meat is meat. Nobody really thinks we've got sirloin, we've got uh, topside, we've got this, we've got that. It's like namaya brai ekai. You know, where's that meat? Whether you can put it on the brow or not, they'll just, you'll find out once you're eating. So it's been such a, a very interesting thing to see people's reactions, you know, when you're saying, okay, how's about you try this ramp medium? It's like, ah, it's this blood coming out and then they taste like, oh, okay, that's pretty. So I've converted a few people, okay. which is quite good. But please make sure that you ask for your steak the way that it should be. And the steak in Botswana is really good. Yeah, Botswana beef's got a great reputation. And rightfully so. Very, because, you know, our, our cattle graze. Yeah. <laughs> and graze. as we know, living in Mount, they're free range. Free range, <laughs> definitely. So you guys don't have to worry about anything. I think they're loved. Nobody really wants to hurt them. You just want to eat them. <laughs> And you can see it in the fat. Yes. Um, if you ever pick up a Botswana steak, the fat's very yellow. Yeah. Um, I, I, have a, I have a story that I like to share about this. So um, a few years ago, I mean, over 10 years ago, my husband and I were going on holiday down to Plettenberg Bay in South Africa. And, you know, this was a break away from our landlocked country and we were going to the sea. And I, we were staying with my aunt and I said, well, we're going off to Emily Moon Restaurant um, for dinner. And she said, well, you must have the beef. You must have the steak. It's the best steak I've ever eaten in my life. So I said, well, we come from Botswana. I mean, we, we come from the land of <laughs> best good steak. beef. And um, I'm here at the sea where it's one thing we do not have in Botswana. So I'm going to have seafood or, or fish. She said, no, no, no. You've got to have the steak. So I said, all right, fine, fine. We'll look at the menu. Okay. Have a look. We get there, open the menu, and lo and behold, it says the prime Botswana. <laughs> so I was like, there... I, Anyone can try and convince me that Botswana beef is not the yeah, best, and no. I will try because there it was on the menu: prime Botswana beef. And my aunt had That's said, the one unknowingly, that was the best beef she ever yeah. had. Yeah, we, so. we, I think we really, we pretty much have good beef. Um, you, you, you'd have to look also though for people like the butchers that you go to, your suppliers. They have to love what they do. They have to love the. The meat, everything honestly just needs that kind of care. If you don't give it yeah. that kind of care, then the meat is not okay. Yeah, and you've got to use some discretion. You've got yeah. to know, like you're saying in Botswana, meat is meat is meat. So yeah. if you are somebody who really cares about getting a good quality sirloin, exactly, you need you've to got ask. go to the right place where yeah, they're exactly. going to be able to give you exactly because a sirloin yeah. that's been hung and cut the right and whatever else. Meat is meat. I remember the first time when I when I heard about matured steak. Um, um, this restaurant in Joburg, I actually forgot. This is matured steak, so I thought, okay, let me try it. So I tasted it, and I'm like, ah, but the steak, ah, 
She's like that one that we have at the Moraka. It was a bit of nyana. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, so when I got to now find out how or where the whole thing of mature stay comes from, I'm like, but we've been having this at home, man. You know, <laughs> that last cut off the carcass. We, we all <laughs> you, know, you know, we've been having this. We've been having this. So it's, it's, it's quite amazing, though, to find out that how many... Um, ways of preserving food actually that Botswana used that is actually used outside there in the world and mm-hmm. you know sometimes people talk about uh, goat cheese or whatever we actually make cheese at, at our home it's just that it's not molded and you know but in the Maraca they make their own cheese they have it they just don't call it that you yeah. know <laughs> yeah so well it's also that the, the dairy is an interesting one because dairy, you mentioned earlier the importance of milk in the Bahobe. Yeah. Uh, well, in the, in the Matoho. Um, so having milk in Matoho is a big part of Matoho and it's also, again, a bit of a um, sense of being able to provide, isn't it? If you've exactly. got the money to I was, put in for the milk. I was about to say to you that it's, it's, a, it's more about uh, when you put milk in Matoho, it means your boss. Yeah. Yeah. Your boss, you got milk because you can't put a teaspoon or like a little bit for your coffee. You really gotta, you mm-hmm. gotta go in. So, a cup of milk is taken to be gold, mm-hmm. to be quite honest. So, if you are using it, it's it's perfect. But if more perfect, also if you are getting it directly from your own mm-hmm. cow. And then, of course, there's also Medila, the sour milk. The sour milk, which is very good to make sour bread with. To be quite, I mean, I. I've tried that. It's so, 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 so amazing. And not the one that you buy from the store. The one that you buy from the store is, I think, I don't know, smoother? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The one that you buy from the store is a bit smoother. So the one that you just get directly from the maraca and then you sell. And when you make bread with it, it's the most amazing thing. And but, how would the medilla traditionally be used? Um, motoho, sugar, and then you eat paleche. Sometimes people just eat it as is. I mean, you don't necessarily... Sort of equivalent how people would eat yogurt. Yeah, but it's a, it's a bit bitter. Mm. But you can also flavor it. There's nothing wrong with flavor it. Like, you can have it with your watermelon. I know my grandmother used to have it a lot with, like, red, red, red watermelon, nice and sweet, and then she would put the, the madila there. Okay. So sometimes it's all about palate. You can cook with it. You can do what? I've cooked a curry with it which was really, really amazing at the end of it. Instead of using a plain yogurt at the mm. end, I put a, um, that medilla inside. So it was really, really lovely. Yeah. And what other dairy is found in Tswana cuisine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really it. That's milk. It's milk and milk-based. It's milk not, it's and not so much cheese. But as you said, it's the goats. Yeah, like I said, most of the things that we do, well, we don't name them. <laughs> they're, not, they're, but, not, they're not made into commercial products. Exactly. Ah, and I really honestly believe that if the country had factories to do all of these things, most of our food would actually really be popular to be had outside. It's just that we're keeping it so in because we feel like because there's less flavor, then people wouldn't want it. But like I said in the beginning, the healthy bit of it is what attracts us as we grow. Mm. You know, now you've you've tasted all of the cheesy stuff, the greasy stuff, all of that. You can now feel like, hey, my body needs to slow down a little bit. Now you start going towards, I just want bohobe and so, so. Mm. You know, It's the fact that it's very um, simple. sounds wrong. Um, it's very... I think simple is right. I mean, you think about like, so so to a listener who's not, some of these terms might have 
come at you a bit fast if you're not from here or you haven't visited before. But yeah, it, it, the, the there's always a huge starch component of a meal. It's either ground sorghum mm-hmm. or it's ground maize. Mm-hmm. And the ground maize is used in a very similar way to how polenta would be used in Europe. Yes. And it's cooked into a soft porridge and then it firms up and it's used much like a polenta. Yes, both of I was those, about to say more like a polenta, yeah. Both of those can be used as a sort of starch. Then you've got the samp, which is the cracked corn. So it's the white corn that's just mm-hmm. sedampa, which is where its name comes from. It's just smashed slightly. And then that's cooked with dried beans yeah. to make a bit of a carb protein kind of combo exactly. dish. Um, and otherwise, what other starches are there? People would use rice. Um, we really like, we really like madombi. Oh, my yeah. See, I was, I was going to say, <laughs> I'm talking, I was going to talk Bread. about the less healthy ones. Bread, <laughs> Bread is, is, is actually quite a big, big part of our, of our food mm. because we have madombi. Um, how, what do you, what's madombi again in thingy? A madombi would be called Dumb, a dumpling. Dumpling, yeah. But they're not ling dumplings, they dump. They're big. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're big and, um, the, the ling dumplings <laughs> are... They don't have yeast, right? They're just like flat type situation. I don't know. They're rub. they rubbery. Yeah. Nana. The the madumbis are. Mm. They can it's basically suck. a sea. It's a steamed dough. Yeah, steamed that dough that is then served. It's it's large. It would be considered a large bread roll size, and yeah. it's broken up and yeah. eaten with a stew. And you can cook it. You can cook the 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 dough directly onto the meat, which is. When they say good, good, this is the fancy traditional meal of Botswana, which would be oxtail and madombi. Mm-hmm. That, if you are serving that even at your wedding, people you know. People know. You have arrived. <laughs> they know you have arrived. <laughs> so oxtail is a, is, is, is a big thing. Um, madombi on top of that oxtail is just heaven. We have maguinha. So maguinha is like a... Maguinha to me feels like an import, but are they really mm. far back traditional? Because they're so similar to meat and a fake cook. Yes, they are. So, and I sort of wonder if they were imported from South Africa or if they were... Like we said, there's foods that are just generally... African. So uh, uh, maguinha is like a large donut. It's basically fried dough, fried yeah. dough balls. I will be honest and put my hand up and say when I was pregnant with my second well, second <laughs> child, I literally was a maguinha. <laughs> you ate so much. It was a laguinha day. I keeps the baby happy. I can't <laughs> go beyond two maguinhas personally, even just now, because for me, I that whole deep frying thing, I feel like they just come out with the oil. So yeah. just on a personal note, I only have one laguinha. But people who eat maguinhas, they love maguinha. Yeah. No, there is something, and you know, obviously, there's a critical point which it start the the oils may be too old, but there's something about having your maguinha from a pot that is not a new oil. Exactly. <laughs> it definitely enhances the flavor. Exactly, <laughs> and you know, it is the popular bread that you find every street yes. corner. And I think every it's an important corner. one to to highlight to um to travelers because obviously. Through talking about it, I'm hoping to inspire people to go out and try and find some local food. Not all of what we've spoken about is going to be easy to find. Like, for example, the Larozzi and the Medilla and that kind of stuff is very specialist. But you can walk out of Mount Airport and you will find a lady with her bucket selling maguinha. Yep. And one pula 
that you go hand it over and you can have but isn't have a it amazing of, though babe, the cultural the, experience the Luguinha has been one pula for how long I know long? <laughs> it's like there must be some it would be really interesting to look at it from an economic, I mean, economic model water came in at one pula liter now they're at one pula 30 within months but the Luguinha has stayed one pula forever which is I guess okay and the poor way of eating the Luguinha <laughs> is putting vinegar, salt, and chili. If you don't have any meat to put in between the Luguinha, uh, if you haven't, the, the, the South Africans they call it vetkuk. Ronan mm-hmm. Botswana, we call it motlapisu. So you put in whatever it is in the middle. So you open the Luguinha, you take out the middle, fill it in with whatever. When we were kids, we used to put it on the road. Wrap it up in a plastic, put it on the road, and have the car squash it. Squash it flat, <laughs> and then when you take it, it's just like all mush, and you eat it. And it was like a popular thing that we used to do with the Luguinha. That's that's the one thing that I guess holds a lot of memory with Batsona kids. That's that's just what it is with the Luguinha. And then there's the Mapakiwa. What do you think of those? Do you like them? To me, it's an interesting thing um, where. I, I'm, it's a good substitute for a bread roll, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily hold enough of a draw that I'll go looking for one. Exactly. If it's if, if it's if, there, if, you if will it's have, there, it, I'll right? have it, But it's not like I go and say, "Oh my gosh, I need to." It's also a big. Um, it's a big type of bread that you use mostly for funerals. Okay. Should I say There's, when we're no, doing? That's association. Yeah. When you are merapelo, which is like, a, like what do you call it? What do you call a merapelo wake? A wake, yeah. Yeah. So those are the kind of mapakiwa are served more there and okay. more for workers because they because they're portable. They're exactly, exactly. It's. I mean, to to describe it to listeners, it's basically how is it made? It looks almost like it's made on a griddle. It's it's, it's, a, it's like a flat bread roll. That one is a papata. Oh, that's a papata. I'm We've confused. got two. There's the papata is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, the flat one. And that's the one that you make on the on the griddle. griddle. That so one you has on you use no oil, no yeah. nothing. It's just flat, flat, and you cook it over the fire on a flat griddle. Cooks really, really quickly. It's got a really drummy sound after it's ready. It's really, really nice. Um, it turns brown on either side. It's a bit like a pita bread, kind of. Kind of. Thing. Yeah, I mean, like a puff. It doesn't make a pocket like to the same degree, yeah. but it's a similar dry, bready it's a similar dry, bready type situation. And you can fill it up. I mean, it's not easy to sandwich, but you can fill it up and have and have it really, really good. Yeah. And that's the thing also about maguinya, madumbi, mapaikiwa, papata. Everybody is so good at it in Botswana that. <laughs> You know, you're always nervous when you are cooking it because the next person's like, mm, oh, okay, no, I, uh, I can cook it better this way. Yeah, so. Um, and then, oh, I'm going to have to, that's going to have beeped. It's telling me it's running low. Let me just pause it quickly. Sorry, I hate it. So the other thing with um, the breads are also obviously a very easy way for somebody to access a bit of Tswana food. Yeah. So if you feel like a little, a little intimidated about trying to go to a traditional restaurant to order a bigger meal, the, the breads are a great way to do it and generally available ladies selling at exactly. the corners. 
Honestly. Or in a, a, a small sort of cafe, they'll yeah. often have the breads just yeah. available. Yeah, um, your liquor restaurants type situation. You see the bread, the bread, the bread. But I love the bread, so you will never ever not be, um, not be able to come across it. And what I also like about it is the less ingredients that they use in the bread. We hardly have egg in our, mm-hmm. and when you add egg, you are really trying to fancy it up. You know what I mean? When you add anything, it's yeast. It's salt, salt, little bit of salt. The only difference with all of these breads is just the texture of the dough before you make it. The other one, you can stretch it out. The other one has to be a little watery. The other one has to be, you know, so that's the only difference. But when it comes to what they put inside, same, but Mm -hmm. it tastes amazing. And then um, in terms of people having access to food, something that we've seen a lot more of recently is the mukujepe. Yeah. Let's talk about that. You know, it pains me, honestly, the Mukajapa situation, because I think the only reason why it's really coming out that way is because it's the only way for people to try and make food right now. I mean, to make money. Mm. Um, it's, the, it's the ultimate side hustle, isn't it? It's, it's the, the ultimate side hustle. So because buying cow intestines, Mukajapa is made from cow intestines and um, like the cheapest meat cuts. Basically, so when you've bought for a hundred bula and you are able to sell a small plate for ten bula, it gives you quite a lot, um, a lot of money back. So, because of the many people who are just doing it because it's a way to make money, you find that you don't find really good mukojepe. Mukojepe, as far as I've known it, is something that has been cooked by. You know, people who are skilled. There's somebody who's basically... Speciality. Exactly, who's skilled. At that family, everybody knows this guy's coming to make the mukachat. If he, if he's not there, it's a whole panic. You know, how, how are we doing this? Because he's good at it. Now, here, it's very difficult right now to find people who are very, like, who are good. But it's there. So when you come into town, rather come and try it at my place. <laughs> Don't <laughs> see your Mukujepe sign on the side of the road. Take, <laughs> yeah, but you can come honest. across some really good, some really good ones. You know, um, the guy who's by the Borough Turn, mm-hmm. his Mukujepe is really, really good. I like that. There's another guy also down there by Bosesha. His Mukujepe is not bad at all. So you just gotta. I mean, if you know, if you know, you know. If you don't, it will be the same. Just eat. <laughs> It is interesting what you talk about, though. I must say, I think food has been the one thing that people have really made the most of through the pandemic. Yeah. Because it hasn't just been the Mokjepe, but also in Mound, certainly it's tailed off recently. But um, a year ago, people with their kadaks on the side of the road doing shisanyama, people pulling out a braai and doing yeah. a quarter chicken, none of that really existed before the pandemic. And that exactly. was a, it was a needs-driven um set of actions but people were just trying to make to find any way of making the ends meet and you have a range of restaurants as a result you have the sort of side well you you can go from the lady with a bucket mcguinia walking down the road to the side corner where they're selling their styrofoam and they've been doing that out of their pots for for years yeah to a maybe more slightly sit down environment on the side of the road to formal traditional restaurants yeah you know, the food is, is because we, we all eat, everybody thinks it's something that you can do. You can just, oh, 
I have got no job. What can I do? But I cook pap and soso every day. I might as well cook soso and go and sell. But what people don't understand about cooking is that you have to, first and foremost, you have to get up. You have to prep. You have to cook. And if you're on the side of the road, it means you are taking your equipment there. You have to set up there. You have to surf from there. When you are done, you have to clean that area. You have to take your things. You have to go back home. You have to go and clean that, clean the area where you were cooking. This is why you said when the pandemic started that a lot of people were like, oh my God, oh my God, I need money. Let me go cook. And now it's not that. It's not the volume certainly. The volumes. The only people who have managed to stay are those ones who are consistent. I'll tell you about that lady who's by the bridge. Uh, Yes, under the picture. She has been very consistent with cooking since the pandemic started. She's never moved. There's never a day that she's not there. Whether people are coming to buy or not, she's there. And because of that, now a lot of people go there because they can trust her. You know, they trust that she's there. They trust that the food is there. So And the quality. And the quality of the food. But sometimes, you know, <laughs> quality can be a thing. <laughs> quality is a... But what I think most of the time, what we are looking for, like I said, is the cleanliness and consistency. When it comes to the taste of food, they are not very particular because, like I said, I'll Food is mostly plain. So if you're going to put a little bit of this, a little bit of that, then yes, it will taste like it's out of this world, so they'll love it. But our plain food doesn't need much. It just needs to be done right, you know. So if you're consistent and you're there and you're clean and your portions are good, meat portions especially, I don't care about the pup. <laughs> the meat portions are good, then you know we're stopping there. So the pandemic was was like... I think maybe a big wake-up call to a lot of people who always used to think, oh, you're just cooking. Yeah. Ah, it's nothing. Ah, you're just cooking. Now they're like, girl, well, how, do, how do you do this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it takes 20 years for you to really get the bone to get into it. So that's just it about... No, that's, a, that's a very good point. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. So talking about portions, I mean, you know, around the world, America is known for having these huge portions. But... Anyone who talks about an American restaurant size portion has never seen a woman plating a nice plate of food for her husband just oh. to show him quite how much just she how loves much her. That, oh. And how important he is. Oh. That's me taking like a leg of goat and putting it right there for him and saying, my man, here's a knife. <laughs> you see, that way I guarantee marriage. <laughs> If he comes home from work and he finds like a leg of goat there, it's looking nicely glistened and it's just like, and I say, it's all for yours. He has a knife, this is all for you. Tomorrow you'll call his people and say, yo, I I think I found a wife now. (laughs) I'm going to marry her. She's like, ah, is she a good woman? Yeah, she feeds me. I mean, honestly, when I met my fiancé, I didn't realize how skinny he was. <laughs> you fattened him up, have you? Now his whole family are like, what? We've never seen you like this. And I'm like, oh, huh. It's my skill. It's my superpower. <laughs> so that's exactly it. In, in, a, in a traditional setting, a woman will always serve a man first. Yeah. 
if you're vegan and feminist, Botswana food culture is not the greatest environment for you because men are first no. and um, there's lots of meat. Yeah, and, and you know when you say you, you eat, um, when you say you're vegan or vegetarian here and but then they'll say, okay, fine, there's the butternut and beetroot and coleslaw. That's... No, what they'll say to you is there's the chicken. <laughs> is that chicken oh. a vegetable? <laughs> I worked at, when I first got to Maung, I worked at a local hotel for like a month and I nearly died because this man came in livid and he threw this wrap at the kitchen and I was the head chef at the time. So I was like, oh my God, what's going on? And this guy says, I ordered a vegetarian wrap. And I'm like, yes, sir, that's what you ordered. He's like, but there's chicken in here. So I'm like, what's going on? So now when I go and I check with the, the lady who was just like, ah, I got a vegetarian. It just means you don't eat beef. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. So to us, not eating beef, that's what, that's what being Jewish. So be, please be specific. <laughs> explain what being, explain that I'm a vegetarian that doesn't eat this. I'm a vegan that doesn't eat this. It's very important because otherwise... We don't know what that is. You know, <laughs> gluten-free. What? What is gluten-free? <laughs> it's nothing like that. We just eat. <laughs> what is interesting is obviously over time, the lodges and camps that cater to foreign tourists have got ready on top of it. And I found that recently um, a lot of a lot of really interesting vegetarian and vegan foods coming out of the lodges. Mm -hmm. But if you are anywhere near a traditional yeah. restaurant or a traditional um, environment, you you do need to be careful. Watch it. And and I think then that's sort of like the next the next question I'd have for you is, you know, there's there's so much. I mean, we could keep on talking about mm -hmm. what is available as food locally and, and how people can access it. But for somebody who is in a lodge, they going to maybe they'll have a really nice cut of Botswana beef fillet yeah. um, served to them in camp or they'll uh, maybe have a traditional boma night one night which is a bit more of a braai. Um, is there anything that you would sort of say to to people who are traveling and, and interested in trying to get a little bit of the cuisine, how, how to do it? I mean, is there anything, any sort of advice you could give on how we can look for these moments of culture that, are around food? I think every camp deserves a Malusia. Malusia is my mom's helper. If you, like, every camp deserves to have a Malusia. Every lodge. We, I mean, they can they can have this food wherever they want. If a filet is a filet, yes, our filet will be really, really good. But if you really want to taste the good, good, good food, you need that old woman who knows exactly how to cook those sampan beans, you know, who knows exactly how to do the sesua, who knows how to do the lorote. And I think it should be food that is offered daily. You don't have to order it. Ordering traditional food in Sajwana is tough. Because this is food that you cannot just prepare like cha-cha. No. So, and it's also got a very specific taste. So I think yeah. that there'd be very few people who'd be, their, their digestive systems wouldn't be comfortable exactly. eating it day after day. But that's mostly when it comes to tripe, when you're dealing with like the insides. But Jana, we really love the insides. Insides of a cow, insides of a goat, insides of a chicken. We really love the insides. <laughs> so... When you cook traditional food at a camp, I this is the last restaurant. What I wanted to do was on a daily basis have 
small little pots where somebody can pay, say, 70 pula and is able to taste every little thing because like you said it can be a whole meal to people and you can't just say no here's the tripe here's the pub eat at the end of the day if somebody can't eat that then it's not going to be thing. Mm-hmm. but i believe that there should be a section that is dedicated to letting people know about the Sotswana food because i honestly believe if the world really knew about our the health components in our food they they would go with it Mm. It's really tasty. Everything is an acquired taste. The more you eat it, the more you just get used to it. So because they don't um, know some of the textures, because that's the only thing most of the time, texture. Well, exactly. The delilele is perfect. Exactly. The delilele. My dislike of it's got nothing to do with the taste. Exactly. Texture. It's all about the texture. Texture is the biggest thing. So if people get can get used to that, at the Okavango Music Festival, I introduced Oxtar. A lot of people didn't, like, oh my god, Oxtang, mm, 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 mm. but by the end of those three days, it was just like, where's that Oxtang rap? Where's this, that? Where's, you know, so I think it's, everything is all about just getting, yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is that there's always going to be some um, local food being cooked in a camp. It's just coming out of the staff kitchen. So if they aren't offering it, ask if you can't have a little bit of, what's a staff meal? Exactly, try something. something. I just think that it should just be there. Like, I really believe that it should. I mean, even now, when I go to cook for people in the the safari, like mobile safari, sometimes I go with groups of people to go and cook. They, They would be specific as to what they want. So we can do that even when it comes to traditional food. Like, when you advertise the trip, it should be, okay, in this trip, on this trip, we're really having this traditional food. Do you know what I mean? We're going to try this, try that. I don't think um, the food tourism is encouraged a lot here. Um, animals are encouraged. I, I like the big thing. But food tourism, if we were to just get up and say, okay, now we're really going to do a whole food tourism thing around Botswana food, then when people leave, they know. You know, in the morning when they wake up, they know they're living traditionally, so they'll have you know and then during the day you can have you know and something and then you have your lunch where you will have your lunch is not like the supper the supper is where you can have like a big big meal so the lunch time maybe you have something light you know like a, what can I say which is like Sajana rice yeah you could have that and some meat and then in the evening, that's when now you can have your full sasha, full maraho, you know, mm-hmm. and pap. So if people know that I'm going there to specifically, uh, specifically go and experience Botswana through their food, you know, then that would be, that would work. Yeah. Should be like a package on its own. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not, know that if you're in Mount for a night, come here yeah. and um, visit Visit Kwangi and have yourself a fantastic meal. Yeah. Cooked, sharing traditional ingredients or a, vari- a variation of yeah. it and, and come and, and come and explore. We, we cook. Um, we've got a variation of food that's going to be coming out of our kitchens. We've been doing this for quite a long time. So I'm the one person who honestly believes in just eating. <laughs> so I don't want to limit myself. You you can come here. You will definitely always find the traditional food. You will always find um, people ask me what do you cook, and I say food. So 
and you know put me to a test when you get here if you don't my menu has a play button press play that's when the chef just goes crazy in the kitchen and does whatever so um we would love to serve everybody and we would love to teach people about traditional food fantastic well i certainly having this conversation has been enough to make me hungry and remind me of mm. all the things i haven't had in a while and um I'll definitely be on the hunt mm. looking for them in the next little while. And I hope it gives anyone who is coming a little bit more of an understanding yeah. of just quite how varied the food options and food choices are here. And um, okay. that it certainly is something to think about when planning a holiday. It's not just, definitely. It's not just your sustenance. It's actually a, an important part of Swana culture. Come to Ngameland and come and have bream. Come and have my maize rice maize rice is my african couscous i love it it's just like couscous but it's it's so deeply african <laughs> and you can make it taste anyhow so i think those are the, the 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 things that i want people to look forward to when they come to 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 the restaurant the bream is, is something that i want yeah. to put out there very much and that maize rice it's going to be an option mash rice chips you know maize rice yeah i think that's great that's fantastic yeah. Are you ready for the snapshot session? Yeah. Talking safaris. Let's talk safari. Okay. So, um, first one. What is your most precious or valued piece of safari equipment and why? My most valued and precious piece of equipment is my three-legged pot. That is my everything. So that is my safari equipment. When I go, when I say I'm going on a safari, the three-legged pot is something that has to be there. And it's lid because that's basically how I live. I use the lid to make papatas, to make pizzas, to make muffins. I use the pot for almost everything, you know. You can cook your rice, you can cook your sasua, you can cook your stew in there. You can actually my... The, the the three tomato oxtail that I'm going to be serving here will always be cooked from the three-legged pot. So that is my safari equipment as a chef. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. Love that answer. And it's a very unique one. I haven't had somebody answer that one yet. <laughs> uh, which one destination would you recommend a first-time visitor to Botswana visits? Maung. <sighs> <sighs> You know, I can't... If you go out into the Delta, right? Yes, the Delta is beautiful. It's water and all the animals. And that's basically what it is. But you won't be experiencing Botswana. I feel like it's, you could take the, the Delta and put it anywhere. It will still exist. But if you really want to experience what Botswana is, Maung, I, I, I believe it just come here. Mm. straight into this town spending time at the old mall at the new mall and surrounding areas the little outskirts places that are nice and cute and you know there's just so much that Maung offers that I feel like a lot of people are not getting you know uh, it's very easy to see the women going in the line to go and, and do the harvest of the tui it's very easy to see a zebra <laughs> or a hippo so my best place in Botswana in Ngamiland is more. Here on the banks of the Tamatakani. Yep. Fantastic. I like that one. One resource, book, podcast, web website, everyone coming to Botswana should know about. I, yours. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
definitely. <laughs> Yours and then and then websites. I don't think we're very we haven't we haven't we we're not we haven't gotten there yet. I don't think we we offer something that is holistic that somebody can actually just go there to go and find something. You understand what I mean? So we let's say we're still working on that. Yeah. So you are my best bet right now of getting the world to know about us. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you for the thumbs up. Um, top sundowner, either destination drink or piece of advice to have a great sundowner. At my place. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I honestly love. I've always loved backpackers, uh, for sundowners especially. I think backpackers is what made me fall in love with Maung and what made me fall in love with wanting to own a restaurant or a place where we can just, you know, chill. So I think backpackers for me, I would love to go there every every other evening to go and chill. And then the hippos and the crocodiles, that is there. So you have your drink and then you're in there. And um, just to... to um give further information on that for our listeners, that would be the old bridge backpackers. Yes. Um, that Nguyen talking about that's out um, in Matlapaneng. And yes. it is a source of potential accommodation. Yeah. But you don't need to be staying there to go and enjoy a sunset no, from no, there. No. And it's um, overlooking the old bridge, which Moa and I discuss its history at oh, length in the episode nice, on, on nice, Mars. Nice. So, and that bridge is, is it's definitely... It makes that's it why it's so site. rich that side yeah. there's just there's always I don't know I, I think it just has a sense of what Maui is I don't know if you feel it's me it's a good snapshot of Maui yeah it's really yeah. rich I really love it I really love it alright last one if you had a weekend to explore locally and get away where would you go I would go to Thomas's place I don't know if you know if you, I don't know what it's called. Um, it's along the road here on Matlapana Road on to your left. His name is Thomas. I'm not too sure what he calls his place. I like it because it's 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 cute. It's very small. It's very nice. What you want to come to Maung for is not the noise but the serenity. So honestly, outside the town of Maung, if you can find anything outside the town of Maung where it's just peace and quiet, the birds are amazing out here. They are, wow. I can't even explain. Thank you so much, Nini, for your time. That has been so interesting. And all the best with um, what's coming with your restaurant. And wish it absolutely every success. Definitely. And um, I, know your t- I know your food tastes as good as you are enthusiastic about food. So I really would encourage everyone to come here and give you some support and see you fly. Great. of Kwakanini restaurant in Maun that recently opened. She opened about two weeks ago. And it was a great conversation chatting about all Tswana meals and food. There's a lot in this episode and there's a lot um, of different food types discussed. But I would just encourage anyone to not be intimidated by the unknown names and to get out there and try some local food, even if it is going and grabbing a maguenya from a tuck shop on the side of the road or simply just buying some toffees. And of course, I highly recommend that you go and visit Nini at her restaurant and enjoy some of her delicious food if you are in Maan. Thank you once again for taking this journey with me. Until next time, goodbye.